Hello and welcome to Cruising Through History. I'm Xander Miller. I'm sitting here with Scott Cruz. Scott, what are we cruising through today? Well, today, Xander, I'm going to discuss World War I's influence on the modern horror film. Like any horror, like any modern horror film. Just... Well, it, I should say the beginnings of, 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 of horror films. Now, there had been some stabs at it, uh, which is kind of unfortunate phrase of turn there, uh, but <laughs> there had been some, some uh, attempts at it earlier. Uh, Thomas Edison made a silent film of Frankenstein like in 1910. There were various iterations of uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, 1912, 1913. This, this would be uh, the silent films that first started coming out um, after World War I, and a lot of the people that were involved in it were actually veterans and a lot of their experiences were put up on the screen. Okay, so it's like it was like the literal horrors of World War One kind of put on the screen. Sort of put a, gave birth to this. And they didn't actually make war movies, which is funny. There's not really a lot of, when you see some of these. Um, it started with a movement called German Expressionism. And that started actually during the war. And it really ramped up afterward. And really it was confined to Germany because foreign films had been banned in 1916. But as the war ended, more of these films got out to the rest of uh, Europe. And German Expressionism used a lot of, um, it was almost surreal in the kind of sets they would use. They were, they were trying everything to get away from realism. I think they were trying to put something on the screen that was, was surreal. Um, there were crazy angles of the, if you, if you looked at, at, if you watch one of the films, and one of the quintessential Expressionist films of this era was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, it's got all the stuff in it. They would paint on the scenery that would look like lights, and it's kind of sideways. It's, it's very odd to describe. You have to actually see it. But that was their thing. Their whole thing, I think, was to get away, as far away from realism as possible. Yeah, so how they film, found, filmed it, it's, it was kind of this disorienting angle sort of deal. You kind of go into it. It's almost kind of the same idea came same thought as like a hall of mirrors where your perception is completely messed up and that is part of the surrealist yes yes yeah and in the story uh, of cabinet of dr caligari he actually trains a, a, a character named caesar who's a somnambulist which is just a fancy word for a sleepwalker <laughs> to actually commit murders for him so it's got this very dark undertone and 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 uh somnambulism was actually a, a a symptom of people who had been under heavy fire in these in the trenches and some of them were buried alive when these shells would blow and the trench would cave in mm -hmm. and this was one of the symptoms of that and so in a way there was a lot of I believe it where it was a lot of trying to deal with the trauma of the war now not every film that came out was a horror film not every film that came out had all these little tropes in it <laughs> but it's interesting that it was it, it was this thing, and, and I could see how that could happen because in World War One, just to speak of it a little bit, um, it, it was so different from what you'd expect. You know, it devolved into trench warfare, and the trenches were horrifying. I mean, picture being in a trench in November with a freezing rain pouring down on you, filling up the trench, and especially at night when and the shelling would just be incessant mm -hmm. and so loud and deafening. 
I mean, this is why you had the term shell shock, which we don't use that term anymore. We use PTSD, but some people would equate the shell shock with almost sort of a zombie-like state where you had people with the thousand-yard stare, which we heard during the Vietnam War, and so these other traumas. And in fact, one thing that you had in World War I uh, that I think uh, men in the trenches, and it was men, from, well, it was men, <laughs> uh, dealing with corpses, what suddenly you were in close proximity to all these undead. I mean, all these dead. <laughs> Sorry, that was we're a slip of the tongue. We're not to the undead yet. We're <laughs> not there yet. We're not there. And so people had to deal with these traumatic, I mean, you had corpses piling up. There was nowhere to bury them. You had a you know, constant noise from shelling, so you hardly ever slept, which could probably lead to the somnambulism too, because you know, things of that nature. So that's the one thing you see in Cabinet, uh, cabinet Dr. Caligari. It was uh, just getting away from any kind of realism, just, just going away from it. And other films used, it didn't last long, German Expressionism, but what happened was it influenced other films that came mm -hmm. after it. Um, so Caligari was the first one in 1920, and then there was a silent film called The Gollum, which was almost a little, it's sort of similar to Caligari because he builds, a, uh, Rabbi built this golem to protect uh, the Jews and so he takes it to the king and he kind of shows it off which is what Caligari did with Caesar in, in that movie. He would take him to a fair and he was also clairvoyant so he would predict people's deaths and, and you, you, know, you talk about this stuff and you think, wow, it's, you know, there's murder and mayhem, and it's like, yeah, that started even in silent films. And one thing they were able to use in silent films were shadows so much. Yeah. The, especially, I can imagine shadows being emphasized when you have different angles for the camera and different ways to view things. And I see that even in horror today, a lot of horror works with different or unique camera angles or, like, line shots. And I'm like, now I'm thinking that kind of came from this start of German, um, German uh, expressionism, expressionism yes. so that these ca different camera angles, different types of shots that are mm -hmm. unexpected or even things that frame the picture in a way that is like you'll see something completely centered instead of like this, the rule of thirds for emphasis right. and focus. You'll right. have like characters, expressions yes. really mm -hmm. centered in modern films now. And, um, and it makes cool. that makes perfect sense because um, later, a lot of those filmmakers that dealt with uh, in, in expressionism, like Fritz, Fritz Lang, who wasn't a horror filmmaker, he made film noir and he made Metropolis, which was more of a science fiction-y type movie. Um, they left Germany, you know, as our, the other real monsters started coming, the mm. fascist. And so Fritz Lang fled Germany and he came to the United States. And, and so you see that they influenced some of the American filmmakers and who are here. I mean, James Whale, he was British, he wasn't American, when he came to make Frankenstein. When you watch Frankenstein, I rewatched it a couple weeks ago, and I didn't notice it until I watched it, and I've seen it like, I don't know, a zillion times, but, well, not really a zillion, but <laughs> the, the opening scene where, uh, where uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Igor are in the cemetery after the funeral, it looks like a, an expressionist set. Mm -hmm. 
the everything's crooked. Like the 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 gravestones are crooked. There's the crosses. It just looks off. And it also looks like if you looked at a World War One landscape, it looks scarred. Yeah. You know, like it's got big scars running through it. And some of them are still there today, a hundred years later, you know. It's like a thing that shouldn't be and it's like just off putting. It's um I can we don't relate this. I'm so I've I've arachnophobia, so I'm scared ah. of spiders. And how how this relates? I like is, spiders actually. So. Oh wow! This, <laughs> how do we get along? Um, exactly. So so the the thing with um, spider fear and reaches for like arachnophobia is one of the things is the way like spiders move is like instant ins- instant rather than you know muscular buildup. Um, right. And that we can't predict the the movement of spiders in a way, and it gets this like primal fear of we can't predict it and it's because it's so different than what we expect right. and seeing things in this movie set that is everything's crooked but it's all like that background the it's not the like main frame almost right that unexpected feeling that something's off and you have to look into it to see what's off what's priming that really fear. and is a lot of and a, right in a lot of and in a lot of ways um some of the themes of these movies were reanimated corpses mm-hmm. uh, there was a french film now i know it's not german 1919 called Jacques. I think I'm saying that right. And there was a scene near the end, it wasn't technically a horror film, but there's a scene in the end where soldiers get out of their graves and start walking towards their villages. And they actually shot it on a battlefield. So this was 1919, so it's only a year after the war ended. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's your, there's your real, your, your sort of forerunner of a zombie because one of the characters was going mad. That's another sort of of uh, like the mad scientist sort of thing. That and there's there's um, a, another theme of some of these movies is madness. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's getting away from realism. So what's this, what's the other way? And I think it's it's showing that what was happening, how it affected people. And so yeah, so I thought of that when I was, th- and it's hard to watch some of these movies because they they've tried to restore them as best they could, and Dr. Caligari is. I watched it. You got to be careful though, because people have sort of remade it, or they've added color to it, or they've added sound to it. I don't. I want to watch the the original thing. Yeah. And the Gollum, I actually watched that on its Wikipedia page. It just had a link that said full movie, so it's hard because you know these aren't great prints. Yeah. And uh, but uh, so the reanimated corpse, Frankenstein. Now I understand Mary Shelley wrote that in 1816 or whatever. But um, if you watch James Whale's Frankenstein, it's totally different. There's elements in it. But there was actually another uh, German cinematographer named Karl Freund, F-R-E-U-N-D, Freund? Uh, yeah, I would be Freund, I think. Freund, yeah. He came to America, too, and he worked on Dracula. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he had worked on The Gollum, and he worked on Metropolis with Fritz Lang. And incongruously, he was... <laughs> Worked on I Love Lucy in the 1950s. <laughs> it, it just stood out to me that you had these films, and then you had I Love Lucy that he had worked on. So these, so these came to America, and they, they toned it down. Some of it, some of the, like in Frankenstein, the elements are there. It's not totally an expressionist film, I, mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, so, but then we get to the movie everyone seems to know from that era, Nosferatu. Oh, yep. Still influencing, like, so many horror tropes today. Yes, yes. Um, and the reason it's so different 
is because, I, and I've never understood this. They say it's F.W. Murnau who made the movie. Um, he changed a lot of the characters because of uh, Mrs. Stoker, Bram Stoker's wife. I forget her name. I apologize. Um, she was very litigious about people taking Dracula. But even in the intertitles, it says, you know, based on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. But he, he made it Germany and Count Orlok, which to me is the most terrifying vampire. Really? If you ever see, uh, Max Schreck played him in the film. If you ever see him, that's what a vampire should look like. Not, I mean, I like Todd Browning's vamp, uh, Dracula. That's the one, Bela Lugosi. I like Bela Lugosi. But I've always found it kind of funny that he lives in this castle that's run down, and he's running around in a, you know, top coat and tails you know, with a top hat and in a, in a full dinner jacket when he meets uh, uh, Harker. It, it's kind of absurd in some ways. But in Nosferatu, he looks like... And that's how they wanted him to look. Because mm-hmm. uh, F.W. Murnau made Nosferatu and Elvin Gaw was involved with the movie too. And Elvin Gaw himself called uh, Nosferatu. He said that... Uh, he, he was... Uh, he said, you can only watch this movie in light of the war. And he called the war a cosmic vampire that had come drinking the blood of millions. Mm-hmm. And you see this, he's, he looks like, well, he, well, he's called a Totenvogel, which is a death bird. Okay. And that's a German phrase. And you see this, he's so different than, I've never liked the whole romanticizing vampires, like Twilight kind of stuff. Yeah, where they're, they're, they're attractive. They're supposed to be this... monsters, not. Yeah, it will, it's, it's their, their idea almost always has been they, they're all tied to sexuality super, like, so much. This, this guy isn't. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, seemed, this is more like the thing that crawls in the, crawls in the night sort of deal. Right. Not the... But he does have a, I mean, uh, they, they changed the characters' names to Hutter instead of Harker. <laughs> and no one can see some of the faces I'm making. But... Um, <laughs> The, the, he does get sort of transfixed with uh, what would have been Mina Harker. I forget her first name, the Hutter character. Mm-hmm. But what it, whereas in um, Dracula and the other iterations of Dracula, it's sort of he comes in the night and he drinks your blood and he turns you into him. Yeah. Like one-on-one. Yeah, you get attached. It's like the vampire has these Everywhere Nosferatu goes, he has rats that come with him and they spread plague. Ooh. So it's mass death, just like you'd have in the war. And I thought about the rats, too, because that's one thing you had in trenches. Mm-hmm. Lots of rats. Lots of rats, and where you had corpses. Unfortunately, I know this is not for the squeamish, probably, but where you had corpses, you had tons of rats, and they, they spread disease. They mm-hmm. just did, and they'd bite you. You know, you'd try to sleep, and I can't even imagine how anybody could not have PTSD living in those kind of conditions. And... Um, he looks like, yeah, and he, that's exactly what he looks like, a death bird. Like, everywhere he'd go, he'd rain death. Yeah, and there's a misfortune everywhere he goes. There's a scene in the movie where he is just standing there, and you're just like, oh, my, you just look at it, and he just looks. Um, he looks like he should look. <laughs> so, but Murnau, he used a lot of shadows in that movie, too, and you see that. And, and even in, there's a scene in Frankenstein where, you're about to meet the monster, and you can hear him coming up. Like he's in some room. They're standing here. He's coming up some kind of steps or something. But the first thing you see is a shadow, and mm-hmm. then you see him coming. 
you know, and you see things like that, the, that play with shadows. And um, there's, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the film name, and so, someone's going to bring this up. Um, but they know, I know the scene name. It's the shower scene. Um, oh, is it Psycho? By I believe Alfred so. Yeah. And that playing with the shadows of something coming and approaching slowly, right. like going from, and that going from Nosferatu playing that going up the stairs and this kind of encroaching feeling, that same kind of feeling happens in the shower scene where the killer is slowly approaching and you can see in the shower curtain, you know, about about to go in a grabber. And right. I think that's like a, almost a callback to... Right. This kind of style you're seeing. And Hitchcock in actually was influenced by some mm-hmm. of the expressions, so that yeah. doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, it's in Caligari and Nosferatu. They're both both of the films are told also in sort of flashback style. Mm-hmm. And in Caligari, you don't even know what year it is. It just sort of flashes back to certain things. And some people have thought have equated some of this with like repressed memory. Oh, it's kind of yeah. showing. It's kind of um, bringing it up. You know, you're going back and having flashbacks, and it's all kind of tied into that. And that can be. Uh, that's actually can be a potential symptom of PTSD too. Is having the your memories yeah. just shut out and then coming back as the, the flashback. And the worst the, thing, t- and the worst thing to me was, uh, many doctors didn't think shell shock was a real thing. Mm-hmm. So they would put these guys under these incredible. Uh, Treatments and I'm doing air quotes because you can't see me, especially electroshock. I mean, some of the some of the soldiers ended up suing the doctors because they they believed that they were like experimenting on and and they would say you're just a shirker, and and so some of them were denied pensions for years until they could because they thought they were shirkers and and I don't know it to me when I think of World War One, I, I mean all wars are bad. You, you, I think. We always think of this war is a good war, this war is a bad war. To me, not not in not in the execution or, or why we fight, mm-hmm. but they, you're going to have some kind of of um, it's going to influence your psyche in some way. I think whether yeah. it's World War One or whether it's the Franco-Prussian War, you know, war is war. But World War One is really even the it was the technology. I think it, it, that really brought the anonymity of killing to it. Mm-hmm. You know, when Napoleon would rush you, yeah, he'd shoot cannons, but you'd also, you know, there'd be rifles and, and, and whatnot. But here, I mean, you could just be killed from shells by people you never saw. Yeah, there was some, it's almost like World War One ended the glorification of the mano a mano war because of how, how it changed war so much. And right. then we're bringing this... Um, German expressionism is almost like bringing that horror of war to the masses, essentially, in a yes. se- in a sense of how how the feeling goes, not the literal feeling, but how right. that felt or looked to someone who was in the trenches, or right. was or was around rats and corpses for twenty four hours constantly. And even in the and the two that worked on um, the screenwriters for Caligari, they were both veterans, but they also became pacifists after the. Oh, okay. And, uh, and and so I think yeah, you have that that running through, and it's it's kind of showing. But I had just I mean the numbers are astounding, and and you think of like not only was it traumatic for the for the soldiers, but the whole population. I mean this was total societal war. I mean you see an old picture of a a World War One tank, 
Mm-hmm. Now tanks, you know, you see a tank, any tank, you're not going to think, here comes something spreading peace and love. <laughs> but when you see a World War I tank, that thing looks scary. I mean, it looks like a behemoth. It's going to come down on you. And the thing would just drive over everything. Mm-hmm. Whatever was there, there you go. And so, I mean, you know, and so I think it doesn't surprise me that it, it came out this way, especially with artistic people, because what else did we get? We got poetry. Um, it affected people like J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. just in a different way. C.S. Lewis, um, he was an atheist during the war, mm-hmm. and then I think it, it, a little while later, that's when he started writing his religious stuff, because he was wrestling with that himself, the whole concept of what had happened. And so it's, it's and even A.A. Milne, the guy who wrote Benny the Pooh, for goodness sake. And so, to me, it's not surprising that people were trying to deal with this trauma in some way. Yeah, that's a... Almost cathartic, really. It's a thinking that it, this kind of, the era of authors and creators gets to a lot of escape in general, in whatever way possible, right. whether that's an escapism where you're thinking Narnia, you're going somewhere else in a fantasy world where there's right. you know not, not, right. nothing else yeah. going on, and that's, that is it, or you're going into expressing, expressing it in a way of horror and seeing this is how that's like, but this is my take on it right. going this way. Um, and, and, it's, and like I said, it's, it's funny because they never really made any war films. I mean, none of these guys did. And so <laughs> All be. Quiet on the Western Front was a pacifist book, too, and that was later made into a movie. It's yeah. not talky, I think. They're kind of allegorical to yes. war, though, in, in some ways, which is weird to say for Winnie the Pooh. Um, <laughs> but in, some, in ways, you can interpret them as allegories to different aspects and I of think, war. I don't know if Millen wrote the book. Um, somebody may be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but... But I think it was influenced, he wanted to write something for his, his, his child, so he, his, his, Christopher Robin had the stuffed toys, and he named them, and that's where you got some of the names. But he was affected by the war, and you can see this, there's actually a movie about him. And um, he, later his son was in World War II, I, I think he, at first I think uh, he was against any more war, and then with Hitler and everything it changed. But, one, one number that's astounding to me when we think of World War I, and I had to write this down. So uh, during, the first, during the four months of the Battle of the Somme in 1916, there were one million casualties and more than 300,000 deaths. Now, the first day was July 1st. Siegfried Sassoon called that a day sunlit, was a sunlit picture of hell. That's what he called it. Wow. So of 120,000 Allied troops... Nearly 20,000 were killed, mostly in the first hour. Now, this is 20,000 people. This is more than the population of some towns in, the, in an hour. And um, another 37,000 were wounded. That means one man was killed every 4.4 seconds. Wow. And I think, how do, you, how, do your, how, does you, how do you deal with that? I mean, and the demographic changes, like 18% of French soldiers died in the war. So all these people had families. And you see this in Germany. It almost seems, it, now to me, I think what you had after World War I in Germany was a perfect recipe for what happened, that what came. For, for, the, for, the, for fascism okay. and, and that. Because you had a lot of, of, who were young boys at the time who were becoming men, had no fathers, fathers were dead, uh, killed in the war. And a lot of people were roaming around 
a lot of ex-soldiers around the street, and and to me, it, it sort of sets it up. Now, these movies uh, have been analyzed before. In 1947, a writer named Siegfried Krakauer wrote a book from called From Caligari to Hitler. He was a native German who was living in New York City. New York City again. And uh, <laughs> always we always go back to New York, <laughs> don't living we? in New York City. <laughs> and, and his whole thing is a lot of these movies are presentiments of Nazism. Now, I, I don't know if... Because in Caligari, it's like you're a sleepwalker. We'll lead you. You know, you're, you're blindly following people. And I don't know. F.W. Murnau has actually been... Uh, Murnau, I think that's how you say it, for Nosferatu... He was con- sort of been accused of using anti-Semitic tropes in it because a lot of times when you, if you were degrading the Jews, you'd call them pests, you'd call them basilisks and that. But but other writers have said that's not true. Because he, he, he looked like a caricature that you'd have in like cartoons of those days. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think this one, and there's two great books on this. Um, one's called Wasteland, The Great War and the Origins of Modern Horror by W. Scott Poole. And the other one was called Shellshock Cinema by a writer named Anton Kees, K-A-E-S. And that's where I got most of my information from. But all, there's also this other book I ran across. It's called A Supernatural War by Owen Davies. Mm. And he argues that in the, during the war, you sort of had this revival of of what people would call superstitious beliefs and practices and uh, a lot of the the soldiers would wear talismans and amulets. Mm -hmm. Um, The press paid attention to what astrologers were saying Um, and you had periodic clampdowns on fortune tellers and mediums. Yeah. And so to me that's that makes perfect sense especially the medium part. People were I think people were desperate to to know what had become of their loved ones because so many of the soldiers who were killed were killed so horribly and so horribly disfigured you could never identify them and half of them were missing. Yep. So the, that constant anxiety that anything is better than nothing even if it's you know a medium right. or star signs or and, something and when, like you that. Know, and when you have something like you know, when you have these tragedies happening of course charlatans are going to move in but I think people were desperate to know what happened to their loved ones and someone tried anything really. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like where they <laughs> it, and I know maybe it doesn't tie in as much, but there's like this predisposition, and then after the war, this still kept going, the, the, the interest in um, mediums. And, and, it, and it got me thinking, there was a big kick in spiritualism during the Civil War era. Okay. And does that sort of tie into all the trauma going on? But I think, those, the, I think that unleashed these traumas. And yes, there was trauma in World War II. I mean, that's, that's a given. But I think it was World War One that gave birth to this, and because these filmmakers came to America, it kind of, it kind of um, influenced what they were doing, especially Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And uh, film noir was—I mean, there was a movie named M. That's all it's called that Fritz just, Lang made. Just M. <laughs> just M. It was about a, a guy who was a, like a child killer. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are pretty heady. Um, and even when you saw Fritz Lang, he would wear a patch over his eye. I mean, look. So yeah, it's. So I think you, it all rolled out of this German expressionism, and that kind of fed the rest of it. So yeah, and honestly, I, we still see that influence in films today. I'm thinking, like the, I'm thinking mediums are always um, re- prevalent, or people trying to predict or speak to um, the ghosts of others is common in 
horror now. Right, um, and because of, I think, and I think because death was now seen as just a coincidence, or not a coincidence, but there was no, it was just, it was your time. You, you, you were, if you survived, it was because you were lucky. It wasn't because of anything else. Mm-hmm. And so there was that kind of fatalism too, I think, that was, that was involved. So yeah, it was, it's an interesting topic. Now somebody may say, well, Scott, they're just movies. You know, who cares? <laughs> in some ways, you know, I just, and, but I, I think you can see these little strands in there. And when I, when I did watch, the, I never watched uh, Cab, Caligari or some of these other ones, but you could kind of see, you know, if you're attuned to especially the universal monster movies that James Whale made and Todd Browning made, Dracula. And um, so, yeah, so it was this whole thing with corpses and, and uh, good fun stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's... That's awesome. That's great. With the, I'm I'm trying to. I'm going to be looking for that. And whenever I watch horror, because I, I like watching horror, so <laughs> right. I'm going to be looking for those different plays, those camera angles, those backgrounds. So. Right. I like horror too, but not like slasher films, which I so much horror that is like oh. that now, just to shock you, mm-hmm. like the Human Centipede. No thanks. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. Okay, okay. Let's let's move. We're going to move. If you want to watch that one, go ahead. No, no, but, no. But, I, um, I'd rather just watch the Universal monsters. So, so Scott, where I, I gotta wonder, uh, where are we cruise through next time? I'm going to be talking about Operation Mincemeat, which was a. Uh, Sounds like a horror theme already. Well, it involved a corpse. <laughs> okay. So I guess that'll be the theme, and it's it's a operation that happened during World War II, and it was to deceive the Nazis on where we were in landing in Europe, but not D-Day. This was the Sicily invasion in '43, okay. I believe. So, so yes, another corpse will be making an appearance, but this time only one. Okay. And it, it, he's he he's involved, so I'll just leave that there for for our listeners. All so, right then. So. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. 